A reading from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray together. 
Almighty Father, as we uh, come to consider your word and as we uh, consider what it means to uh, repent and believe the good news, to, as the liturgy says, renew our repentance and faith, um, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift. It's not something we work up. Repentance is something that we're always giving thanks for. It's ultimately from you. So will you uh, be among us by your Holy Spirit, even now? And grant us to hear uh, what we need to hear and do the deep work that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, and um, if you would, uh, turn back in your service sheets uh, to uh, page 4 and 5 to that Joel reading. Uh, Lent starts today, and uh, we, uh, most of us, I think, will be aware of that. That's why you're here, Ash Wednesday, uh, and so forth. And Lent is a season of the church year where God uh, invites us, that's what the text said uh, earlier this evening, but I think, that's, I think that's not strong enough. Lent is a season where God summons us to spiritual renewal. And, and here's a little bit of how that happens. Um, real spiritual renewal happens in part when we come face to face with our deep and profound failure. Uh, we don't hide it. We don't hide from it. We don't spin it. We don't camouflage it. That's a really important one. But instead, we face it just right and head on. But that's not it. Right at the same moment, right at the moment when we are facing up with our failure, it's not another stage. It's right at the same moment we also come face to face with Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we find him to be our rescuer, we find him to be our hope, and we meet his mercy very deeply in the wreckage of our failure. And when that happens, when you meet Jesus Christ in the wreckage of your failure, that is when we are bound to Jesus Christ in a, in a bond of love and loyalty and joy. Now, let, let me explain a little bit more what I mean. Um, Joel... That first reading, um, Joel was a uh, prophet of ancient Israel uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And uh, here's the thing about the uh, Israelite prophets. Um, they were experts, just experts, in uh, helping Israel come face to face with their own failure. Uh, Joel is, uh, so to speak, not in anybody's pocket. He's, um, he's not propping up a regime, if you read the rest of this book. He's not, uh, he's not a propagandist. Um, Joel looks straight at the, uh, both the political and the religious establishment of his day, and he says something like this. He says, listen, Israel, um, we, our failure and our hypocrisy and our injustice, it's just, it's just towering above our heads. We're ignoring it, but it's towering above our heads. And then he says, and we need to understand that God is not complicit with it, that God will not ultimately tolerate it, uh, but that God is going to hold us accountable. Now, you, you can see that in verse 1. Uh, verse 1 says, sound the alarm. Joel says, sound the alarm, the national alarm. Why? Well, he says, the day of the Lord is coming. 
And the day of the Lord was a a bit of a frightening concept because the day of the Lord in Joel and throughout the rest of the scriptures, the day of the Lord is that day when God holds his people um, accountable for uh, their, their sins, their injustice, their hypocrisy. And it's heavy, and it might even sound harsh. If you read the rest of Joel, it does. But I think it's also really, really helpful. Let me explain why. Um, See if you can identify this, identify with this. One of the biggest risks that religious people face is the risk that our religion ends up merely camouflaging our deep and profound evil. Um, I don't think I have to give examples. The news is full right now of of shocking examples of the way uh, uh, religions and and religious leaders uh, have uh, um, tolerated evil, um, promoted evil, covered it up. And what's happening now isn't particularly unique. Religion has a remarkable capacity to camouflage evil. That's part of what Jesus was talking about. When you do stuff, when you fast, when you come to Ash Wednesday service, don't do it for others. That's just a camouflage. And Joel just takes this head on. Um, Joel says, Joel says very profoundly that the, the most severe critic of hypocritical religion is God himself. And so Joel looks at the establishment of his day and he says, Israel, God is not going to tolerate it. God um, will not hesitate to tear down the entire structure and the whole edifice of Israelite religion if the nation keeps going in the direction that they're going. Now, it's harsh. But on the other hand, as I say, I think it's very helpful. And the reason I say that is this. That's the only kind of God that we can really trust. Because it means that the God that we meet in the Bible is not a God who's complicit with evil. He doesn't camouflage evil. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't hide it. He deals with it. And he deals with it head on. So you can see how Joel just takes Israel right face to face with their own failure and with the consequences. And doesn't let them hide. But there's more. Because right at that moment, right when Israel is looking at their own moral disaster, just right when they have no defense and they're guilty as charged, Joel says, now, now, stop looking at, stop looking at your failure and look through it and look at your God. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 13. Even now. Then it says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now, those are charged words. And what I mean by that is that you could pack the whole relationship history between Israel and God right into those words. Let me explain. Do you remember uh, the Exodus, the story of Israel with Moses and so forth coming out of Egypt? 
What happened there is that, you'll remember, this was hundreds of years before Joel. Uh, Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt, and they had no way to get out. And so the story in Exodus is that God uses Moses to uh, lead them out to liberty. God liberates the people of Israel. And then after God liberates the people of Israel, God takes them out into the desert, and they sit down, so to speak, for a talk. And God says, listen, Israel, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to get to know me. My name's the Lord, he says. And then he says, I'm gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who I am. Let's live in relationship with each other. Now, can you see what Joel is doing? Because now, hundreds of years later, Israel is sitting in their moral collapse. Their guilty is charged. And here, through the prophet Joel, it's as if the Lord sits down with Israel again. And it's as if the Lord says, Israel, do you remember, do you remember? hundreds of years before? Egypt, you were slaves. I liberated you. Do you know why I did that? Because I'm gracious and merciful. I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. Israel, you haven't been faithful. But Israel, I haven't changed. I'm still gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm just as gracious as I was then. I'm just as merciful as I was then. And it's as if the Lord looks at Israel and says, and now I'm going to liberate you from slavery again, but a deeper slavery. I'm going to liberate you not just from political slavery, but from the slavery of your own soul. I'm going to reach down underneath the camouflage, and I'm going to grab the evil that is holding you captive, and I'm going to defeat it because I'm gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and steadfast love. I'm full of it, full of steadfast love. You've got to just appreciate just how remarkable that moment must have been for Israel because, you know, they're, again, they're, they're, they're caught. It's public. They're in their hypocrisy. They know they deserve the Lord's judgment. And yet, they're face-to-face -face with their own failure. And that's the moment when they come face-to-face -face with the full mercies of God. Now, friends, that is the secret to real spiritual renewal. That's the secret to your Lent. Uh, Christianity is not just, we should all be more religious. Christianity isn't just, we should all behave better. Christianity isn't just, you know, um, there's a spark of remarkable untapped potential in you. Let's just activate it. Um, and the reason that none of those things will do is that all of those things can just be different ways of doing the same camouflage. They don't, it doesn't touch the, the evil underneath, inside. And therefore, what Joel tells us and what the whole of the scriptures tells us is that we need a deeper rescue. We need to be liberated from the evil that's down deep underneath the camouflage. And that's why God doesn't just call us to religion. He calls us to himself, to come face to face with God himself. And what happens is we slam up against the reality of our own failure. And part of the reason that that becomes so important is that when we slam up against the reality of our own failure, that's the moment when we finally begin to believe that we're not going to behave our way out of it. And we need something deeper. And that leads us to see Jesus. 
Why do I say Jesus? Well, Joel knew that the Lord was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but he didn't know the half of it. He didn't know the half of it because when Jesus came, hundreds of years later, fully God and fully human, and as God fully committed to holding account and not tolerating evil, and as human, willing, voluntarily, taking the place of all hypocritical religionists and all other humans, guilty people. And when he died upon the cross, God's hostility against evil and his mercy towards the guilty came together and joined hands in a way that we never imagined that could be true. So that when you look at Jesus upon the cross, that is when Jesus meets us in the midst of our failure. And that becomes the special place where all of a sudden the full extent of Jesus' love comes clear to us. We come face to face with our failure and then only then we come face to face with Jesus Christ. And we realize that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to a greater extent than we could ever imagine. And therefore, it calls out of us a new loyalty and love and trust. And we say yes to him. That is spiritual renewal. And that's the path of Lent. God is summoning you to that today, me to that today. He's summoning us past the camouflage to the real thing. And that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. And in a few minutes, we're going to come forward and we're going to do a, a ritual. Ashes are going to be smeared on your forehead. Why? To remind us of our failure. It's black. Black as soot. And also to remind us of our mortality. And that we cannot hide forever. But you will feel on your forehead not only ashes. You will feel the sign of the cross. Why? Because at the, at the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where we see the face of Jesus Christ. And that's where we see his full mercy. And that's where renewal happens. And the ashes are mixed with oil. Why? To signify the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Joel, in the next few chapters after our reading, Joel promises that one day God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. There will be an intimacy with God between us and God, and that's what God is calling you today. Now, when you come, uh, please don't perform. Jesus doesn't like it. He's not impressed by it. Neither is the person next to you, as it happens. That's just camouflage. But come bearing your soul before Christ, and you will meet one whose love extends beyond your capacity to imagine. And you will know what it is for the love of God to reach down under the camouflage into your soul, into the dark corridors of your soul, to those places where your shame still remains. And the love of God will flood that place. And when your shame is flooded with the love of Jesus Christ, that's when you will know joy. And so today's heavy, but the undercurrent is joy. The invitation is joy. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ.
If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.